Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own they're essential, but altogether they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advantage tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing pieces to get the most out of every second of film. Learn more at huddle.com slash a quick timeout. Coach Rex Walters joins us today. When it comes to talking about a defensive philosophy, your defensive philosophy has been shaped by whom? Well, Stan, uh, I'll, I'll, it's funny. I was such a bad defensive coach when I was in Florida Atlantic and at uh, USF. I really wasn't. It's funny. When I interviewed for this job, I said, Danny, please don't look at my defensive numbers as a head coach because we were much different. Uh, I Again, I was influenced by Roy Williams, and, and that's not to say – He's a great coach and a Hall of Famer and won national championship. But we were trying to play the way we played at Kansas. And the way we played at Kansas was great ball pressure, denying one pass away, uh, trapping, uh, blitzing pick and rolls. And we didn't have, even at FAU or at USF, the type of uh, athleticism to play that way. At Kansas, he had some great, great players, Kirk Heinrich, Jeff Boshi. Uh, Drew Gooden, Nick Collis, and I played with the Richard Scott and Adonis Jordan, some great players that could play that way, right, where we could guard the ball, like Adonis Jordan, Jacques Vaughn, they could really guard the ball. So then you can extend your defense and have more pressure. But we didn't have that type of guy or guys that could push the ball. So as I got to a chance to work for Stan, I saw that, okay, it's not pack line, but it, there's a lot of pack line principles. We're going to really protect the rim protect the paint, and then chase guys off the three-point line the best we can. And, and that's kind of what I've morphed into. And I was just really fortunate working as a G League coach in Grand Rapids for a year where I got to be there for summer league and learn from Bob Beyer, who's a phenomenal coach, a great coach. I think he's with the Sacramento Kings uh, in summer league. And then I got to learn from Stan uh, in the training camp and then uh, working for the Pistons in one year. So that really changed the way I looked at defense, uh, simplified it, more pulled in, more paint protection. Uh, it, it really helped me as a coach. That year in Detroit, we were the 10th best uh, team defense. You know, we didn't – we got fired at the end of the year, but for me it was great. <laughs> I learned that you don't have to have great defensive players because there wasn't one great defensive – a lot of good defensive players, but not great, and yet we could still have a top 10 defense. And then I went to Nevada and worked for Eric Musselman, and they had great length, great size and athleticism. We still didn't deny – our actually our turnovers, our, our our team defensive turnovers, like turning teams over, went down, but our rating went up because of our length. We could also switch pick and rolls one through five, but we were still pulled in. And he uh, listened to me a little bit. I mean, he's a really good coach, but he listened to some of my thoughts coming from Stan, and I thought it really helped us defensively. And even this year, we got a little bit better, not not where we need to be, but we were much more pulled in. So I, I owe a lot of you know thanks to Stan. Uh, guys like Bob Byer, that staff in Detroit taught me a lot about how uh, you can you can be successful defensively with not having great length or great defenders and still be a, a, a very good defensive team. If I saw correctly, you all jumped from like 108th in the country at Nevada there to like 35th, I think it was. Yeah. Like what what if you could summarize it? And I think you've already mentioned a couple of them, but like what are the biggest factors for that's 73 spots? Like that's a big deal. That doesn't just happen by we work harder. Like what were some things? 
And the funny thing too was they really only had three returning players. I mean, mm-hmm. they returned Cody and Caleb, really, really good. Okay, they're really good. Six, six, one, two, three. Jordan Caroline, six, 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 seven. That went from playing the five to really now playing the four and the three. And all the other players were new. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing was they committed more uh, to less switching. We, we were switch, we were switch pick and rolls, but they were they were point switching and and there was big gaps. Uh, they weren't going to deny nearly as much. And that was a constant struggle for Coach Musselman to get those guys to pull in, right, protect elbows and blocks, uh, be great in transition defense. I think that's the biggest thing is we wanted to have ones and twos back. Uh, saying that our one wasn't going to be Cody. Okay. It was going to be Jazz Johnson. It was going to be Corey Henson. It was going to be guys that we, we determined were get back guys. Like get shot goes up, get back, and let's start loading our defense. And the other thing, too, is we had great players. I mean, they had great players, and they bought in. You know, I was listening to Stan speak. Uh, you know, anytime he has a chance to speak, I'll listen to him. And he says, your, your, your ability to have success is going to be determined by three things. And the first one's talent, right? And, and Nevada had great, great talent. Uh, the second thing that he said was going to be your system. You know, the system, what you do. The third thing is going to be your players buy in to that system, how you teach it, and do they believe it. And in Nevada that year, especially in the Mountain West, I think we lost two games that year, maybe yeah, two games in conference, maybe three. There was unbelievable buy-in by those guys. And it started with, obviously, Muss, the, the credibility, the ability to teach and coach. But it also goes with Cody, Caleb. They were really bought into it. They, they really wanted to win another championship and have a chance to make a run in the NCAA tournament. So talking about Coach Van Gundy, I saw a couple of weeks ago you had his seven defensive musts. Can you kind of go through those and talk about each of those? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, and and the, what I believe in, and the first thing we just talked about, it's, it's sprint back, right? So uh, depending on what you have with your defense, ones and twos, though, they should be back on the raise. You should literally see them turn and run, sprint back. The, the, the basket that you have should see their back. They should be sprinting back into the paint. Uh, threes. You know, if you're inside the three-point line or on the weak side and have a chance to go get it, yes. If not, get back. Let's load it with three. Four is the same kind of thing. Like, if you're in the paint, uh, if you have a lane, go. And you have to be really – got to coach that. Fives, you want to really go after it unless you're above the three-point line. So the first part was sprint back. Let's load our defense. Let's make sure that they're playing against half-court defense as much as possible. You see a lot of NBA teams doing that now. And, and sometimes they have a couple great offensive rebounds that they let go a little bit, but for the most part, they sprint back. The second part is protect the paint, right? We want to have great ball pressure, but we want to, we want that ball handler to see elbows and blocks being covered, right? The gaps, the guys in the gaps ready to guard. Uh, then you want to become a great closeout team, great close and contest team, great technique, you know, sprinting out, getting to the chest of shooters, uh, I always like to say trying to take away the best thing they do, right, and then the second best. So for us, a big thing was always taking away strong hand drives. You see a lot of guys in the NBA, a lot of those guys can go both directions. But in college and high school, uh, if you can take away a right-hand drive by a right-hand guy, you're going to be able to, to cause some things. So close and contest. The third thing was communicate constantly, right? We want to be talking. We want to be pointing. We want to be making sure that all five guys – we're on the same page in your pick and roll coverage, in your screening actions. If you do have uh, switch situations, your communication's got to be early, loud, and constant. You've got to talk all the time. And then active hands. And when active hands, that doesn't mean reaching in. That means 
hands in the face, two hands up on the clothes, taking away vision, making sure off the ball, we have our hands out so we take away and we, we, we show more of the paint being covered. Um, really, really important to have active hands. And then you want to defend without fouling, right? So the number one way you score in any league is at the rim. It's the highest percentage shot. The second best percentage shot is the free throw, believe it or not. It's not the three-point line. It's the mm -hmm. free throw line, right? So we want to make sure that guys are – and this is part of the active hands – walling up at the rim, not reaching in and bailing guys out on their shot or on their dribble. Uh, we don't want to put teams on the line. And the other thing, it really affects our offense. Because, again, the hardest way to score is in the half court. Mm -hmm. But if we foul, we have to play in the half court. And then the last part of it is box out rebound. You've got to be a high-level box out rebound team to be successful. Uh, there's some physicality to that, and that's something you've got to emphasize every single day. A Quick Timeout Podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Duke Blue Devils, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish Basketball. And now, save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. A big thanks to 323 Sports for supporting the show. The guys with 323 Sports are a team dealer providing uniforms, gear, equipment, and more to schools and colleges across the country. I've used them on multiple occasions, and their customer service and low prices are second to none. To find out more, visit 323sports.com, where you can reach out directly to a rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. It's interesting because you, you do want to drill certain things. You want to play some one-on-one. -on -one. You want to work on your closeouts. You want to work on your angles of your closeouts. But you do. You want to play a lot of three-on-three. -three. You want to play a lot of four-on-four. -four. You want to play a lot of five-on-five. -five. And, and you're constantly coaching these things. That's why they're the defensive must. At the, you know, like when I was in Miami, uh, towards the end of the season, we're going through a scouting report, right? And Coach Riley, for whatever reason, and I, I hate to ever say Coach Riley was ever wrong, but he was off on one and all of the players were looking at each other like they couldn't mm -hmm. believe it. Right. Because at that point he had done such a good job of coaching us every single day. And his staff who had Stan Van Gundy, Jeff Bisdelic, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Eric Spolster was just a video coordinator at the time. Mm -hmm. Bob McAdoo, great, great coaches. Um, they knew what the things were every day that were being emphasized. So you have to emphasize these things every single day. When I was in Detroit, my job was to yell on every razor shot, get back, get back, get back. So my guys knew me as the get back guy, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you have to emphasize those things, and, and you've got to, you know, fight certain battles over the course. Not fight, but get guys to buy in to those seven musts. And if you do that, you start having a really good defensive team, and you get better and better over the course of the season. There is drilling. I, 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 there's no question. But I also think, and I agree, that the more you can play, Right. The more you can play, stop it for a brief second, you know, make your one or two points, get back to playing again, emphasize it again. That's when you really start to get better. So I would, too, if I ever got a chance to be a head coach again, it'd be more play than it would be drilling. I mean, we, we're, we're going to do shell. Of course, you're going to do those mm -hmm. things, but that's four and four, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just making sure you're emphasizing these things every day. There's technique things you have to worry about with with pick and roll, with closeouts, with box outs. But. At the end of the day, 
you know, we're really blessed the way force we got video that we can show them afterwards. So you're just constantly emphasizing these seven things and just trying to drill it home every day. High school coaches that listen to this may not have the advantage that we have at the college level, but do you, when you're playing that four on five, four and five on five, do you have a coach that's responsible for defense that's emphasizing those things and offense? First well, Stan thing? was the best at it. So we had a big staff and obviously high school teams usually have maybe two, sometimes maybe one, maybe three, but whatever it is, I think you have to delegate, right? Uh, I think when I was at San Francisco, that was a tough thing for me. And I had some great coaches. Jeff Lenders now a head coach at Wyoming. Uh, Luke Wicks is at Pacific. They had a great season this year. David Bebo was just a Cal High Coach of the Year. Brent Cruz is now a head coach. Sundance Wicks is at Wyoming. And it was hard for me, but you have to delegate, right? You have to say, okay, hey. And Stan did a great job. I learned again from Stan. Rex, you've got, you've got uh, transition defense. That, that's, that's your deal. You've got to coach that at a high level for me. Uh, Tim Hardaway, we're talking about active hands and ball pressure. You've got to do a great job with our guards coaching that. Coach Byer kind of coached everything. Coach was that good, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, he would take one side. Stan would take another. Aaron, you're going to work on our box outs and rebound. Right, making sure we're and when the shot goes up, you're yelling box out, box out, box out. So we have the we had the um, ability to do that. If you have two guys, hey, one guy's got to coach the offense, one guy's got to coach the defense, and you've got to pick two or three things that you want to get good at. I think that's another thing as a coach. If I ever got a chance again, you're trying to get good at two or three things every single day. You're not trying to get rid of that, you know, get everything up uh, in terms of coaching everything, but you got to get good at two or three things every practice. Uh, for you to get better because then you can hopefully move on to the next thing moving on uh, moving down the line I haven't done it a long time but I just have observed the coaches and I, I we're all like this control freaks to an extent like we want to <laughs> but so many things go overlooked and if you can delegate and keep you have multiple eyes on things then stuff doesn't get overlooked as well some of those details that could get overlooked I want to go back and talk about some of those musts because I'm sure as people listen to those they had some questions and I, I won't hit everything but um, even talking about transition defense have you seen the game change at all you said one and two get back you know protect the paint but guys are running to the three-point line now have you do you teach things any differently than you did maybe when you first started it's crazy because even, you know, there's this big uh, talk of spacing offensively and three-point shooting, right? But even at the core, if you look at the numbers, right, layups are the most efficient way. So you do, you have to sprint back to the paint, right? You've got to talk, you've got to point, you've got to get matched up. But again, it's rim first, right? It's foul second, it's three-point line third. Now, obviously, you got to you got to identify, and that's where scouting comes in. I'm doing the scouting Thing, uh, on Wednesday talking about what we do or what I've learned along the way and you've got to identify who those those three-point threats are but you've got to do it from being in the gap and being pulled in and then knowing the ball's coming at me I may have to get to him the ball's being raised up to make the pass to him I got to get to him and that's when it gets to your closeouts but I mean transition defense the biggest thing is effort you, you have to coach effort you do you have to every day like in every drill that we did at San Francisco when we got better was when the shot, even in dummy offense, ones, twos, and threes, you're back. That's our only chance to beat Gonzaga. Get back and load the paint and then talk and point, right? Get matched up and then let's make them change the ball from side to side so we know we're playing against set defense. So you mentioned closeouts, so let's go on to that. So closeouts, it seems to me like if there's a guy standing out there at the three-point line, he can probably shoot it. Yeah. Are you... Are, are you are you just, you know, trying to play guys? You said take away their main thing and then take away the second thing. 
like I said, if they're out there, they probably can shoot it. Are, are you teaching, you know, short choppies, get to it and then take away something? Are you just, if it be the second guy off the ground to contest the shot, like what, what have you found to be effective in 2018, 2019? I try to classify guys with certain uh, terminology, shooter, right? Straight shooter. We got to make him bounce it. We're closing out all the way through the chest. We're breaking down, you know, basically, at a length and getting to his chest with our hands up. We're going to make him bounce it without leaving our feet, right? So a shooter, a player, we're going to close really hard to a length because he can shoot it and he can bounce it, right? A driver, we're going to actually close short and take away those strong hand drives that I talked about. Because if you can take away the shot on, on players, right, and then you can take away what he does best, you got to make him go to his third or fourth option. But it is, it's a sprint, and especially in long closeouts. It is a sprint, and then you're breaking yourself down. You are keeping one foot on the floor. You see a lot of kids nowadays, they jump stop in their closeouts. It's one of the biggest things that I watch. Anytime both feet come off the ground, it's just the law of gravity, right? You can't move until you come back down. So I want them to break themselves down. I say break themselves. I try to say stay away from chopping your feet, right, because I've never seen a guy chop wood with their feet. So I try to say break down. You want to break yourself down, but one foot's got to be on the floor at all the time until you get to your feet being set, right? Again, the technique is high hands uh, all the way to his chest. Then we want to get back to a length and get a hand in his face. And I got that from Muscle. Uh, Muscle was great about hands in the face. So that's kind of our technique. But that's also, we talk about in the scouting, what is he? Is he a shooter? Is he a player? Is he a driver? And, something, and then I get more specific. I say, hey, he's a, he's a shooter slash right-hand driver. So we got to make sure that when we're closing out, we're taking away the right-hand drive as we get to his chest. How is the communication taught and drilled? Yeah, it, it, to me, it's I try to keep it really, really simple, right? So on every movement of the ball, there should be talk, right? So it should be simple. I got the ball. Ball, ball, ball. Three times, early, loud, and constant, right? Uh, if I don't have the ball, I'm yelling, help, right? If my man's setting a screen, I'm saying, screen, 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 right? Uh, if it's a pick and roll, it gets a little bit more complicated. The way we did it in Detroit was anything in the middle third, right? It was either weak or strong. Weak being we're forcing them left, strong being we're forcing them right. On the side of the court, any side pick and roll, it was, again, simple again. It was either middle, push them middle, or push them down, push them to the baseline. And, again, those calls were going to be three times, and they were going to be repeated. Weak, 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 right? Strong, strong, strong. On a dribble handoff, our call was open. So the guy that was receiving the dribble handoff, as the ball was coming out, I'm calling out, let me through, let me through, let me through, or open, open, open. So open up so I can either bust up the dribble handoff or I can, I can go between the ball handler, right, and the man that's guarding. So shooters, I'm going to get over the top. I'm going to try to bust it up. Mm -hmm. Drivers, I'm going to pick my path, if that makes sense. So yeah, there's yeah. – like on every movement of the ball, we should have five guys talking. You know, in Detroit, we wanted to have a low man. So anytime that man was the furthest man from basketball, he's yelling low, 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 low. So everyone knows I've got the basket. That also told the guy that was on the opposite elbow, right, I'm the highest because we like to X out in those situations. The ball was skipped to the corner. So the guy would all say, I'm high, high, high. So you'd have a low, you'd have a high, you'd have a ball, you'd have, you know, a help and a help and, or whatever the screening action was. But it was oh pretty God. simple. It was exactly what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I feel like sometimes we either overcomplicate it or just kind of give up early on it. Is, is it just you emphasizing it constantly with your players? 
So one of the, my favorite things that I like to do is we played a lot of three-on-three and four-on-four cutthroat. And this the one way it made me delegate, okay, because I like to kind of do everything when I was a young coach. Uh, so I'd give – I'd have four things, four emphasis that we'd have. Number one was going to be um, talk, right? All four guys or three guys on the court had to be talking the entire time. Ball, ball, ball. Help, 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 right? Shot, shot, shot. Because that's what we wanted when a shot was taken. Uh, the other thing was um, – uh, ball pressure, right? right? We wanted to have great ball pressure. We wanted to get to a lane. The other thing was great jump to the ball. So I had one coach just coaching jump to the basketball, right? Mm -hmm. And the fourth thing was kind of the hard one. It was play personnel. So understand who you're guarding. If I'm guarding a driver, right, I'm going to close out short and I'm going to take away drive. If I'm guarding a shooter and the offense got a shot, that guy got a shot. They catch a shot. The defense lost. So the, the fourth thing was really uh, play personnel. And in the drill, I liked it. Uh, we didn't emphasize rebounding. You didn't hear me mention rebounding. But if the offensive team got the offensive rebound, defense was off, right? Whether they scored the basketball or not, defense was off. And, and that's how we scored it. And it didn't help. It didn't hurt that we would run. The losers would run. The other guys would get water. So it was, a, it was, it was the thing our players liked the most because we didn't coach the offense at all. Right, but right. they started to realize we play the right way. We're going to break these guys down. They're going to get whistled off because some possessions would be literally three seconds. If the guy handled the basketball and didn't say ball, 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 boop, uh, no, no talk, you know, I'll tease one of my players. No talk, Angelo. Angelo was off. And then all of a sudden you see guys coaching each other. Freaking, mm -hmm. you need to talk, that's, my man. That's good. We're not losing because of you. You need to jump to the ball, Avery. That's not working. You know what I mean? So you want to have a player-led team as opposed to a coach-led team. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go ahead and talk about defensive rebounding since you brought it up. It's something that I've thought a lot about over the last year. Um, I, I feel like in our minds as coaches, we have this ideal of what rebounding should look like. And let's go ahead and just keep it kind of on the defensive end because it might look a little bit different on the offensive end. But because of the speed of the game, it doesn't always look like that. Right. And this is what I mean. So, you know, what my, my first question is, are you more concerned with teaching technique and the technique being box out, hit them a certain way, turn it, or are you more concerned with pursuit of the basketball, just go get it, be aggressive, and then how do you practice those things when it, <laughs> when it comes time to actually get better at them? Yeah, well, I'll say this. You have to teach technique. I think you have to. Uh, I, had, I had a player named Rashad Green. It's Danny Green's little brother, mm -hmm. and he wasn't a great box out guy. We still taught him the technique. But at the end of the day, I tell him, Rashad, if you get it, I'm not going to pull you out of the game. You know what I mean? So we're going to teach hit. We, we always talk about hit and get. I wanted to have two forearms to the guy's chest. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be really physical. Mm -hmm. We thought that in, in Sundance, Wicks talks about it all the time, you, you know, the game honors toughness. Mm -hmm. So we want to be physically tough, right? So we wanted two forearms to the chest, and then we wanted to ride him either direction that he went with our forearm and with our hips and drive that offensive player back if he went to the glass. Okay, that was a big thing for us. If they're on the perimeter, we wanted to visually see our guys as we watch tape of them checking the shooter or, or checking, not the shooter, but checking the weak side uh, wing, the weak side corner. Is he coming, right? If he's not coming, we don't want to run in. I always talk about, we never want to freaking run in. We actually want to box out. Mm -hmm. We want to have as big a rebounding space that we can. So we talked a lot about clearing the paint. But I did, like I said with Rashad, I, you know, I, I said, hey, uh, I'm not going to kill you, right? I'm not going to. I'm not going to pull you out if you if you uh, 
don't box out, but you better get it. And he liked that rule. And he was a guy that could do that because you also got to play to your player's strengths. He was a great get it guy, right? He wasn't a great box out guy. But I told him, I said, hey, you give up one, I'm going to be looking at you wrong. You give up another one, you might have to come sit next to me. So uh, that's kind of the way I approached uh, defensive rebounding. Yeah, I found we had a guy just like that on our team this year who it would have been almost a waste of time to teach him to like to, to like hold him accountable for it. And it would I he could just go get the ball. He could pursue it better than somebody else. But, um, you know, that's one that coaches can, can debate at another time. Uh, let's talk about ball screen coverage is another thing that we talk a lot about. Uh, it appears that based off of you've already talked about where it happens on the floor, it might look a little bit different. Um, but what determines for you guys there at Wake your coverages and what you're going to do? Yeah, coverage is determined by who you're guarding, right? So um, if you're guarding a pick and roll guy, right, um, you're going to play probably more in drops, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, we like to be up at the point of the screen. We want the ball on ball guy to see coverage, to see defense, to see bodies. So we wanted our bigs up, hand on the hip, right? Making his call early. We, we talked about on the first movement by the big to the ball. It's simple. It's either strong or weak. It's either middle or down. You got to make that call quickly, right? But we wanted our bigs up at the point of the screen and then dropping back. And in the drop, the rules are really simple. Stay in front of the ball, stay below the roll. So you're only going to contest at the rim. And if it gets to the rim, we call that a beer back. Like our guard would then take the big and try to ride him out root him out on the box out. So that was our drop coverage. If you're guarding a pick and pop guy, right, uh, you might play in switches, right? And we like to switch on context. So instead of calling strong or weak or middle down, we would just call out, um, well, in Nevada, we called touch. So we were going to switch on touch. So touch, touch, touch. Like in uh, Detroit, I liked it better. We called it black. Black men were switching on contact. And so the difference is in a drop, when I hear a middle or, or um, down call, I adjust my stance. So I'm going to be at a length guarding the ball. I hear the call and I hear middle. I'm actually going to get and I'm going to get into my guy and force it middle so I can get over that screen. I want to get as close and, and, and into my man as possible so I can get over that screen because now the screener has a tougher time screening when you're closer to the ball. Uh, in a in a touch or black call, as we call it, switch on contact is what we call it. I'm guarding the ball now. I hear, and you got to have some toughness for this one, right? I hear black, black, black. I'm guarding the ball. Then when I get touched, we're switching on contact. I'm sorry, I clap. <laughs> but we're switching on contact at that point. So that's what you do against straight pick and pop guys. You kind of have to pick your poison against um, uh, pick and pop fives. Do you switch that? because it's an easy read for the five. He sees the switch, he's going to roll down. We veered back a lot on that. Uh, you know, Stan was talking about the other day, Milwaukee just decided, hey, we're going to play in drops, and we're going to make teams beat us with threes. In the three-point era, right, mm -hmm. we're going to make teams defeat us with contested threes. Uh, so you got to kind of pick your poison. Uh, you can also play in shows against pick-and-pop guys, and your technique has got to be really good. you got to be on the hip, inside the hip. At the point of the screen, you still got to make your call early, loud, and constant. Um, but those are, you know, in, in my – and then you can blitz as well. If you want to just change tempo, you want to throw something different. Coach Nestor, who's, who's a great coach, uh, special assistant here, talks a lot about blitzing. Just let's just change the tempo, change the pace. We're going to corral trap guys. Uh, that's all we did at Kansas. 
Like mm-hmm. all we did, we blitzed every snap. That tells you how the game has changed, yeah. Yeah. right? We, we blitzed every single pick and roll. I was watching the 93 Final Four with my son and my wife and, and all my kids. We were watching it, how different the game was. We were motion, mm-hmm. three out, two in. There was always guys in the paint. It was hard to get to the hole, but we blitzed all pick and rolls. So um, it's amazing how the game has changed, but that's pretty much the pick and roll coach. We're going we're gonna to drop, we're going to switch, we're going to show, we're going to blitz. Um, um, you know, those to me are the basic ways that we like to guard it. Do you like switching? Does it cause you problems? Because let's go to the next step because most are going to try to just bury your guard. And then I'm assuming that you're doubling the post. It's funny. Like we're at Nevada and it's, it's crazy. We fronted the post all the time. It was a rule and it was a thing that coach must stressed every day. We had a, we had a guy named, uh, Trey, that was a phenomenal post player, six foot 11, built like a, you know, like a Mack truck, but athletic, could run, dip. I mean, just a great lob threat all the time. He never wanted to front muscles like none. We're, we front at Nevada, son, and he committed to it. So in switch situations, we switched all pick and rolls. It was probably one of the reasons why some players didn't play. They couldn't switch. They couldn't guard the ball right? Or they wouldn't front the post. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't do those two things, you wouldn't play. But we had six, 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 you know, six, seven, six, yeah. eight, and then in basically seven feet and all fives. Could, and we fronted the post. But I'll say that Jazz Johnson, who was one of the top three point shooters in the nation, five, 10, five, 11, maybe six foot. Sorry, Jazz. He fronted the post and they couldn't throw it in. And mm-hmm. the other thing about it, we were pulled in. So that pass had to be great. And you also had great ball pressure. And that's the big thing with Coach Musselman. You always talk about hand in the face, right? Hand in the face, take away vision. So guys had a tough time feeding and throwing the ball over the top against those switches. So our team wasn't very good at it this year. We weren't good at switching, to be honest with you. Um, but that Nevada team had the ability, had the athleticism, had the guys that they could really do it. I feel like what you just said is probably something coaches hear and then overlook. But we want to talk a lot about what happens when the ball gets in there. You know, we front the post, we three quarters, we bring help from the backside. But if you get ball pressure, you probably don't have to deal with any of that stuff. It's a great, you, you said you hit it right on the mark. Like if you have great ball pressure and you can contain, you can do a lot of great things defensively. So, yeah. you know, it's funny. I'm sitting there one time with Coach Horns. We're watching a guy that ended up being an NBA player, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm not watching this guy, but I'm waiting for the next game. And Coach Horns like, he just doesn't guard and pressure the ball enough for me. Mm-hmm. And he just moved on. You know what I mean? So you wanted guys that could really guard, especially at that point guard spot. Um, you got to be able to pressure, 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 don't get beat, right? Yeah. I always say pressure, 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 contain. If you can do that at a high level, the ball doesn't get to the paint a whole lot. Let me talk about scouting. I know you've got something coming up for that. I asked this with Coach Hamilton at FSU about a week ago. When you're preparing for an opponent, ACC, let's say, are you spending a lot of time on their plays and on their style or are you spending most of your time doing what you guys do and doing that throughout the whole year so that when you get to a specific team, you're ready to defend the actions that they, that they do? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question. So I'll, I'll give you this example. We never changed at Kansas in 93. We never made adjustments. I think the one adjustment we ever made against Jason Kidd, we didn't blitz pick and rolls. What we blitzed pick and rolls and we did it, we did it at a high level. And so that was coach's philosophy. Hey, you're going to beat us. You're going to beat us on our terms and how we play. We're going to deny you, right? We're going to pressure the basketball. We're going to blitz all pick and rolls. We're going to play fast. 
if you have great talent, you can do that. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. If you have great talent, you can, you can lay out your, your system, lay out your plan and, and probably not have to make a whole lot of adjustments. But if, if you're not in that top two or three in your league, you better be able to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. And we didn't feel like this year uh, that that was necessarily the case. We had good talent, but obviously not great talent. So uh, we did make some adjustments. We, we, would, we would try to take away what teams did best, right, within our system. Mm -hmm. And now it's just things that you emphasize. Hey, this is a really big point of emphasis right here, fellas. Like with Florida State, they play really, really fast, right? We better get three guys back on the shot. And, and it's funny, as I do my scouts, I find myself coaching the things that we emphasize every single day in practice. It's just yeah. a bigger point of emphasis. You may have two or three in-game adjustments that you may have, like an example on a baseline, on a baseline out of bounds play, they lift the five up to the ball side elbow. And that guy's a strong right hand driver. Yeah. We pushed everything middle all season long, right? We wanted to, that's where our health was. And on, on that play, I said, guys, this is an in-game adjustment, right? That guy wants to drive it right. Right, we got to push it back to the same side because they're clearing the right side except for that corner shooter. We got to push him back to his left. We got to push him outside. And so, you know, making sure that you you walk through it, right? You show it on tape, um, and then you even drill it. In, you know, as as you guard stuff live, that the guys know there's going to be a couple in-game adjustments. I think you need to make to get better and have give yourself the best chance to win. We did lose to Florida State this year by ten. Uh, he had a really good team. But we felt like we gave ourselves a chance. We played some zone against them. Uh, I think you have to make a few adjustments, but you also can't completely abandon yeah. what you're about. Yeah, that, that was my next point. That I, there's a fine line between adjustments and creating gimmicks in just a hope that you can somehow pull an upset or, or stay within. So when it comes to the, what you're telling the guys, again, a fine line between being so detailed and prepared as coaches versus overload and your guys just completely stop listening to you and they don't do anything. Yes. So what does that look like for you guys? Well, number one, you have to talk to your team. Like, you, you know, and Danny does a, a really good job of it. Like, what do you guys think about this, right? I was sitting there and, and it was after, quite honestly, it was after I got let go at San Francisco. I'm sitting there and Steve Kerr lets me come to practice, right? And they're watching tape. And Steve was like a master. Steve was like, um, Draymond, how do you want to play this situation? That's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, whoa, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, and Draymond's like, hey, I think we can we can blitz that one in this situation, coach. Coming out of a timeout or, hey, you know, the big fella, I forget what his name was, like, hey, can you get, get a little bit higher up on that pick and roll? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. So he was getting their buy-in. And that's I think so that's really, really important. Um, you can have the best scheme. If they don't believe it, it ain't going to work, right? Yeah. So you've got to get buy-in from your team. You've got it, and that's why I think the clip tapes are so important that we have to make for our guys. Um, you know, we were pretty good in the second go around against teams. We lost to Notre Dame at home, played really well on senior day. Got them. We showed tape of, hey, this is why we have to do this. We lost to Clemson on the road. We had our best defensive uh, effort against Clemson the second time around. So you'd like to get two, but hey, you know, sometimes you just got to you got to set up for the split. But you got to get buy-in from your from your players. As I watched preparing for this, just watching some film of you guys, I watch a defensive possession, and then I see you and some of the other assistants madly writing down on your notebooks <laughs> as the ball goes to the other end. So that's something that usually coaches want to know about. What things do you track and what things are important for you all? I think the biggest thing for me is when it's – especially when it's my scout, I, I want to have a good feel for what they're about to run 
if it's out of timeout, if it's a basin on the bounds, I'm really watching them because I want to give my head coach uh, a, a heads up. Hey, this is what they're doing. This is what they're running. So that's really what I'm looking at and writing down. We also track a lot with defensively, um, are they getting to the paint on us? That, that, that's a big thing for us. Uh, are they getting second shots? What's our transition defense looking like? And we'll, we'll do in-game because, you know, we weren't great defensively. We got better, but we weren't great. We were always tracking, okay, what's better right now, zone or man, right? We, we got to do something to change, change, change momentum. So I was always looking over to a couple of our, um, like, administrative guys because they kept track of that. I've asked them, where were we at with man? Where were we at with zone? Because at the end of the day, like, I love man-to-man. What's going to help us win this game? Okay, sure. what's going to give us the best chance? So that's why we were scrambling right our notes. The other thing I would be writing down was just thoughts for Danny. Uh, at the start of the timeout, hey, you may want to think about this. Uh, hey, this is what they're running a lot of in this situation. Uh, after timeouts, coach, look for this. I just want to try to help him because he's got a thousand things going sure. through his head during a game. I, I want to try to slow it down and, and, and just give him information that he could say yes to, he can say no to, but at least he has the information. Yeah, talking about that in-game adjustments and a, a timeout, um, you know, for a lot of high school coaches, you see commercials when you're watching the game. Being a part of them, I remember the first time that I was a part of a televised Division One game, and the timeout starts, and it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going, and like we were like ready to break the huddle, and and they were like, "No, you still got a, another minute left," and we were like, "All right, well." Uh, and then going forward, we used our time a lot better. So what does I think everybody sees the coaches huddle. Yeah. So organizing that and then what you guys are actually telling each other yep. and then what you're going and telling the players kind of break down what that looks like. So the first thing that happens is we'll huddle up, right? We'll huddle up and, you know, I'm always watching the defense, right? So I'm, I'm talking about, hey, what are we doing in our pick and roll coverage? Are, are we executing our pick and roll coverage or do we need to change it, right? Um, matchups. Are there matchups out there that we don't like making sure we – and then I'm giving that information to Danny. All right. If there, there, there's maybe sometimes a thing offensively I might see, but I, I try to stay away from that because, you know, Randolph has an offensive thought. Steve has offensive, offensive and defensive thoughts. So I want to give him one or two things that I think is really important. I don't want to give him 15 things. He's got a thousand things going on in his head. He's got to worry about minutes. He's got to worry about fouls. He's got to work play calls. He's got to worry about what they're running. So, hey, I'm going to try to give him one or two things to try to help him. And that's it. And I think Chill's the same way and, and would. Uh, it's funny, we'd get in timeouts, and the be- best thing I'll say is, you know, watching Coach Riley, coaching, and then watching Stan. Like, there was never wasted talk. They ne- I mean, we would sit there sometimes, and he would sit down, he'd look at all of us, and just, just relax, right? We'd get to the last 15, 20 seconds of the, of the uh, possession, he'd write out the play he wanted to run, or he called out the defensive coverage, boom, and we broke. And he just wanted guys to relax and, and catch their breath as opposed to continually overrunning, overloading yeah. guys with information, right? Because you and I both know, you know, and, and Coach Yoshikawa, Danny Yoshikawa should say this, busy minds equals slow feet. <laughs> okay, sure, so, that's good. <laughs> so, you know, Coach Riley wanted to keep it in some ways simple, right? This is, this is how I'm going to change momentum with this play. Or, hey, in this, in this coverage, we're going we're gonna to double, you know, Shaq on, on the catch. Or we're going to double Shaq on the bounce. Um, but it would be one or two, maybe three things right, to really give his team, to try to give them an advantage, as opposed to ripping them, telling them what they're doing wrong, 
we needed, you know, like fire and room. That stuff doesn't always work nowadays. You got to give them direction, right? You got to figure out what's going to get them to play at a higher level. At the end of a game, or even if you're going into the time, or excuse me, into a halftime, let's say at the end of a game, you look back on things or look back on the end of a first half and you say, that was a good defensive performance because we did what? To me, it's always the same things. We, we protected the rim. Mm-hmm. We protected the rim at a high level. Um, we kept them off the line and we, we got three-point shooters off the three-point line. And I said, if I were to add a thing, it was usually, hey, we rebounded at a high level. Uh, the things that I always would worry about that would kill us were turnovers, like turnovers and bad shots. Like I was, I would say, hey, and I always say to our, you know, to our team and to our staff, I was like, guys, it don't matter what defense we're playing. If you're turning the ball over, you're taking bad shots. I was like, so we, we need to understand that. So those were kind of the things. And it's funny, I would talk to Stan when I was a G League coach. I was like, Stan, I'm saying the same things over and over and over again. He's like, yeah, because those are the things it takes to win. You know what I mean? So you just got to figure out a way to get your teams to do it. I know that probably sounded for some like a stupid question, but you said exactly what I wanted wanted you to say. (laughs) I I feel like this. sometimes we overcomplicate it or we want to come up with something new every time. And what ends up happening is, you know, the old adage, your, your team knows what's important by what you emphasize. And if you're constantly coming up with new stuff, they don't, have any idea what's important but I did by the end of the year there were a couple times where we'd walk in the locker room and we were like you got anybody want to lead this because you guys already know what <laughs> what we're going to say with this right yeah well I, you know I talked about before and and I remember I was coaching at FAU and, and I want to say it was either Wimp it was Wimp Sanderson right he coached uh, I want to say at Alabama I'm not he was a really good coach coach great teams he said you know Rex people always said I wasn't much of a coach but I got good players and and I was okay with that. <laughs> so the first thing is all of us coaches, we have to figure out a way to get our talent level up. If you're a high school coach, what are you doing to promote your program to get players that want to go there, right? Is it, is it camps in the summertime? Is it fall leagues? Is it summer leagues to get kids in the gym and want to play for you? If you're a junior, junior college or college, you got to recruit. you got to recruit at a high level and get really good players that fit what you're trying to do that you want to coach. And then it's going to come down to your system and then your teaching of the system. I thought that, that I just, I, I heard that like literally like maybe last week and it was by Stan. Why well, I, I have the highest amount of respect for, and I was like, how simple is that? Yeah, you know what I mean? Fantastic. Like you, you got it. You got to be able to coach. Yes. But you better have good talent. You better have a good system in place. And if you do that, you give yourself a chance to have really good success. Awesome. Before I let you go, I usually ask this of all my veteran coaches, but if you could go back and talk to 20 year old Rex Walters, what would you say? <laughs> oh man, I have so much to say. Uh, well, one thing though, one thing connected to maybe your coaching career. Yeah, I, I would say that. And I would, it would be what coach Smith would always say, applaud the actions you want repeated. And I, and I say that because uh, as a young coach, I was so worried about correcting mistakes. And I think uh, good coaches, they do. They applaud the actions they want repeated. So guys want to do more for them. And so that's what I would, I would do over again. That would be my advice to me. But, but one more time before I let you go, where can people find more about you and connect with you? Uh, shoot. Uh, my Twitter page, it's, uh, I want to say it's at, I don't even know what it is, but I'm on it's it. at Coach time. Rex Walters. <laughs> I should have just done this. I should have, <laughs> I, I didn't prepare you for this question. I prepared yeah. you for all the other ones, but this. Yeah. And uh, I'm on Instagram as well. I'm trying to figure out what my name is uh, on that. Obviously, you can see I'm really, 
Yeah, just Rex Walters, Wake Forest men's basketball. Uh, you can find me on there. It's more, that's more about family. But if you want to find, find stuff on basketball, me talking about it's it's really my Twitter page. Uh, I am doing some some uh, Zoom meetings now. Uh, I'm going to try to do more. Hopefully, it'll end because this quarantine will end. And then I can get back to doing what I want to do. But I love talking basketball. Obviously, I hope you can see that. I love coaching. So this gives me a chance. Thank you for this opportunity to come talk. Thank you. That's Coach Rex Walters, Wake Forest Associate Head Coach. Coach, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you.